upon your word we can build our life upon your throne lord you you love us so much and we are so mindful that we're thankful lord that you are here right now in this place that you are ministering to our mind soul and body in this place as we are gathered together in your presence lord we worship you we lift you up today above everything else no other name will be praised except for the name of the lord we lift you up this morning, oh God. This afternoon, Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. God, in this moment, in this time, may we draw closer to you, Lord. We know that you're always near to us. But in this time, may we, may we reach out further towards you here this morning or this afternoon, God. We need you, Jesus. In the day today, we need you, Lord, above everything else. Before we go to a time of the word, if there's any need that you have in your life, whether it's a physical need, maybe you need a, a touch of healing, maybe the breakthrough space whatever those things are just invite you to surrender them to Jesus right now we we've been talking about how there is freedom in the name of Jesus that where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and so there is freedom right now in this place inside of each one of you because Jesus dwells within us by his spirit lift those things up to the Lord right now thank you Jesus Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you, worship team. It's good to see all of you here again. I hope you are enjoying the time of, of worship uh, in this space. I mean, I, I love it. I love how I'm just so thankful for these guys. I, it's not all about the, 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 play, the musicians, the songs, but it definitely adds to the atmosphere. And so I would love it if you guys can just show appreciation. Uh, you know, a hand clap would be wonderful. They'll thank you guys. Thank you so much. You know, God gives us talents. He gives us all different gifts and abilities, and music is one of them. And so thank you guys, Bro and Carl and Isaiah and Jim. You know, Jim's been coming down. It's not that you guys don't matter. You guys do, obviously. We just said it. But Jim's been coming down from Burlington uh, with his family to be here with us. Yeah, so I'm thankful for that. All right. Okay. We are going to start a new series today. Who likes series? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and, you know, last week was really, was really fun. Um, you know, we've been talking about how Jesus makes his home with us. He invites us to draw close to him, to make our home with him. And last week we were looking at this guy who was demon-possessed. The spiritual forces of darkness were against him, but Jesus intervened and freed him from that oppression. You know, it got me thinking how thankful I am of those who are in our corner. Sometimes we can get caught up with those who are against us. We focus on the negative things. I'm guilty of that. We focus on those things that are setting up against us. But there's quite the encouragement when we're reminded of those who are in our corner. We have our, our rocky crowd of angels that surround us, the guardians of the galaxy. And so I want to look at that today because as I was saying last week, I was encouraged in realizing that the spiritual forces of heaven, the provision of heaven is with us day in and day out. Amen. I love it, Carl. Keep, keep those amens in that coming. I love it. <laughs> and so we're going to look at how there's this angelic heavenly host. And now let me just put a disclaimer out. We don't worship angels. That's not what the emphasis here this afternoon is going to be. But we're acknowledging that Jesus has the ministering spirits, the angels that are in our corner. They're called the cherubim, the seraphim, and the archangels. These heavenly angels are messengers, servants, but protectors of what matters most. And that is sacred space. God's sacred space. Wherever God is, is a sacred space. The fact that he lives within each of us is a sacred space. And so as he makes his home within us, Liam, it's a sacred space within you. Jesus lives within you. He lives within me. Home's a sacred place, right? I mean, we love home. I love, even though I live in Simcoe, Waterford is still home. When mom, especially she make, makes an apple pie, you can smell the aroma. It is home. It is a sacred place. And you know, the great thing about home is that there are many of people who love us. They cherish us. In many ways, it's as if they surround us. They enthrone themselves around us. They walk with you. They talk with you through the good and the bad, the thick and thin. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm thankful for my family. You know, mom, I know dad's with Jesus right now and as the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12 and my brother. And we, we talk. We get together. We talk about life and we talk about the things of God. And when you're in that circle, when you're in that space, there's an incredible amount of encouragement. And so I've been thinking about all these things, and I was trying to figure out why does, and I understand not everyone has this family dynamic, but why is it that family sticks with you so much? Through the thick and the thin. And it just got me thinking, it's because they're in it for the end game. They're in it for the end game. It made me think about this household of God, how we're in the family of God, and that God has the end game in mind. This far succeeds any Marvel movie, okay? Tony Stark got nothing on Jesus Christ, okay? Thanos is nothing in comparison to Lucifer the devil, but Jesus, he's got this. He has won the day when he went to the cross at Calvary. And so today I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. And you might be thinking like, ah, Genesis. Okay, I think I can see where you're going. Kind of odd space maybe to park to talk about, you know, guardians of the galaxy. But you're going to see why. And one of the things that I deeply appreciate is allowing Scripture to speak for itself. And so I'm going to read it to you so that you can just let it wash over you. Uh, I believe we'll have the slides on there as well. But in Genesis chapter 3... The headline here says, The Temptation and the Fall. And so it's a little bit of a long read, but just bear with me, okay? Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the free of the tree of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it. Or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And sometimes, you know, Eve gets a really bad rap. The fact is, man, you know, Adam, he, he ate it too. Okay, we're, we're in this together. We're in this together. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden at the time of evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
So God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal, and you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. You gotta love that he's not getting away with this. Okay, there's consequences, okay? I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until the return to the ground, until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. This is the area I want to focus on here. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life." And so the reason why we're reading this passage is there's a lot of things going on. We see that there is an an epic battle that's going on. That it may appear that, you know, Satan has won a victory. He may have won the battle, but he's going to lose the war. And there's a promise here of saying that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That God had the end game in mind. I don't believe that God was just unaware that Adam and Eve would eat from this tree. He had aspirations for them that they wouldn't eat from it, that they would follow him. But he had a plan in place because we believe scripturally that God has foreknowledge. There's nothing beyond his purview. That He's aware of everything. And so he has this end game in mind and he's not willing for Adam and Eve to live eternally with their consequences the choices that they have made. Rather, he initiated the rescue plan, the the Avenger plan, okay? So we have the Guardians of the Galaxy and with the Avenger plan. The Avengers initiative is Jesus Christ. And this is where this whole story begins, that God had the end game in mind. And so when we look at verse 24, we see that at the entranceway to the garden, the cherubim, the angels were placed to protect that sacred space. When I read this last night, again, I'm like, oh, man, this is so cool. I mean, sure, there's a fancy flaming sword, but the cherubim are there for our benefit. Lest they eat from the tree of good and evil to live forever in their consequence. But God had a plan. The guardians of sacred space were there. I'm going to read a few verses for you that highlights how this, these cherubim guard these spaces. It says in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 3, Now the cherubim were standing to the south of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. 
Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherub to the threshold of the temple. The temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. The sound of the cherubim's wings could be heard as far as the outer court. It was like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. Isaiah 37, 16. Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you were God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. These verses show us that God is enthroned upon the cherubim, that he is between the cherubim who guard sacred space. They have a key role. And we're going to look at um, Exodus chapter 25. We're doing a little bit of a survey this morning. That when God spoke to Moses, who led the Israelites, right, God's chosen people out of Egypt, he promised Moses that he would meet with him to tell him how they were to live their lives in covenant with God. And guess who he would meet or where he would be, where he would meet Moses? Between the cherubim. It says here in Exodus 25, verse 16, he put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. This is God speaking to Moses. Make a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Make two cherubim of gold and make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other. And at its two ends, make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim are to have wings to spread out above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and are face one another. The faces of the cherubim should be toward the mercy seat. And set the mercy seat on top of the ark, and put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. Verse 22, and I will meet you there, above the mercy seat, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will, speak, I will speak with you from there about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. <laughs> I will meet with you there. Angels have a very prominent, specific role guarding sacred space. The Ark of the Covenant, the testimony of God for his people is a sacred space. And we're going to look at the mercy seat and why that was so significant. Remember, in the garden... God had a plan. He had the end game in mind. He knew that his people would need mercy. We see here the mercy seat is a key significance because he could see that the Israelites, they would falter. Again, he had aspirations that they wouldn't, but they did. And he had this plan in place that when they fell short, and we're not going to read it today, but if you go to Leviticus 16, God specifically put a plan in place of how they could receive mercy from God. He commands that the blood of the sacrifice be sprinkled on the mercy seat to make atonement for their sin, reconciling them to God. So this seat is not just some beautiful gold seat. It mattered. It was important. In the book of Hebrews, I was talking to Isaiah the other day, Hebrews is an incredible book of the Bible because it describes for us that anything on earth within the temple that was described in Exodus is actually copies of what is in heaven. That Jesus himself purified the very mercy seat in the heavenly place. 
this sacrifice was important. And actually, what I found fascinating, because there is a little bit of talk in the um, theological world that God doesn't require this mercy seat. He doesn't require blood sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. That, that's just something made up that God doesn't require. And yet God spoke that very clearly to Moses. The Hebrew word for mercy, mercy seat, scholars say, is best rendered as propitiatory or propitiation. It means removal of wrath by offering a gift. God is righteous. He is loving. He must punish sin. We saw what happened in the garden. He has a role. He has a purpose. But this propitiation was something that God had put in place. And we can see that this is signified by on the Day of Atonement when the the Jewish priests would go into the temple. They would go in once a year with, um, with bulls and goats and such, and they would sacrifice these animals, according to Leviticus 16, and cover the mercy seat every year for the sins of the people. Because God told them. Sometimes I ask myself, well, God, why did you need that? Well, I just trusted he's God, and this was his plan. And he laid it out. We know, Scripture tells us that life is in the blood, and without the shedding of innocent blood, there's no forgiveness. And so these priests would go into the uh, inner room of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat, and they would sprinkle the blood on, the, on it for the forgiveness of sins. And this would foreshadow where we're told in Hebrews 8.12 where God declares, I will forgive their wrongdoing. I will never remember their sins. That Jesus, that he is our mercy seat. He was slain once and for all for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. And so I want to let Hebrews 9 paint this picture for us because I was going through this trying to jot down all these points of uh, highlighting all the significance of this inner room and what it looked like. But again, the Bible does a far better job. So Hebrews 9, it says, A tabernacle was set up on the earthly sanctuary. And in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. And behind the second curtain was a tent called the Most Holy Place. It had the gold altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the Ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. And it's not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. Verse 6, with these things prepared like this, the priests entered the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room. And he does that once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a simple a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. There are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. And here's the key part for us, the here and the now. Verse 11. But Christ has appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, he entered the most holy place once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Verse 15 Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is exactly the, the end game that God had in mind with Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for our benefit, and why the cherubim were stationed at the entranceway to the garden. And so we see back here at the beginning when we read Exodus 25, verse 19, the cherubim have an important place. They're attached to the mercy seat on either side, protecting that sacred space. I don't know about you, when I was reading this, I was just amazed how important angels are and their role in God's plans and purposes. But not just that, that they are with us. Because God's sacred space is within us. So you may be sitting here kind of like me and saying, you know, what does this have to do with, with me? <laughs> As you're, you're hearing all these words, it's exciting, and it's like, whoa, it's like this cosmic battle, and all these things are going on. I'm right there with you. In this home that we have, that you and I have with Jesus, we're covered with forgiveness, acceptance, and we're enthroned with Christ in heavenly places. And that means that we're enthroned with angels. Check this out, Revelations 3.21. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just also as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is Jesus. So this is a future reality, even though it's not present, not yet. It's not fully realized, but in a way we are realizing it with just a glimpse. Ephesians 2.4 says that we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places where Christ is. And so, again, fire for effect. If Jesus is in heaven and he's enthroned with the cherubim and that we're seated with Christ, who is on our corners? Who's with us? The angels, the cherubim. We have guardian angels. And you may say, well, wait a second. Didn't Jesus say something about guardian angels? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because, yes, that's exactly what he said. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones. Because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my heavenly Father. This shows us, as children of God, that we have guardian angels that Jesus sends as ministering spirits to protect us because we are a sacred space to God. He dwells in us by his spirit. And you might be saying, well, where is that angel? We're in the Bible. That's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So the fact that you and I believe in Jesus, we have guardian angels because they're part of the plan and purposes of God. These guardians of the galaxy are with us. They're enthroned. I, one day, Isaiah, I, don't, I hope you don't mind me putting you on the spot. One day we were chatting about angels, and he said, you know, sometimes I can hear angels 
Like, it makes a sound of a, um, what do you call it, chain? Chain mail, yeah, like warriors back in the day with the crusaders. I thought, man, that is so cool. And I'm glad you said that, because there's been a few occasions where I sense an angelic presence in times of my greatest need. And one time, not to get really, you know, deep in the details, I was laying in a hospital bed, and I felt so strongly, so strongly, the Lord say to me, I am showing you my glory. You will never be the same. And I remember this just very tangible presence. And I always chalk it up to be like, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God is with me. Absolutely. Right? But then I just got thinking in this study here, well, the angels are there too. That's why sometimes it can just be so tangible. And when we're singing, in Revelation, it declares that the angels are always singing before the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So imagine this thought. As we're singing, angels, your guardian angels, are sitting, standing with you as we are singing together, singing holy, holy, holy. How cool is that? And that, that just, that encourages my spirit. And as I said at the very beginning of this, of this um, chat here that we're not to worship angels. Sometimes believers can go on the crazy side and just start worshiping angels. I see an angel. I see an angel. And I've been at conferences where they're like, whoa, there is an archangel in the corner of this room and there's gold dust in that immediate vicinity. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I've seen some incredible things, but the, the focus was wrong. The focus was on angel, angel, angels, angels, angels. It just, we need to be aware that angels are amongst us and they are guardians of sacred space. But that's not all. Check this out. Angels as guardians are also our co-servants. Co-servants with us. Look at Revelations 19. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. And this is John who's receiving uh, um, the words to write um, by Jesus himself to write to the seven churches. And as he falls to his feet, there's an angel here. And the angel says, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Angels aren't to be exalted. They're not to be lifted up above Jesus. And this is what Lucifer the devil got wrong. This is why he rebelled. He wanted to elevate himself above the Lord Most High. He's like, no, 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 that's not for me. I'm going to be like the Lord Most High. And he got booted out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw him kicked out of heaven like a lightning flash. Right? Kicked him out of heaven, hits the ground. And he has a bone of contention with God's people. And so he goes to the garden and he says to Eve, did God really say? But God was aware. He's like, no, 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 you're not gonna get away with this, Lucifer. He put the plan in place. This whole thing comes full circle, full circle. And so in closing, as we ponder these things, we're gonna have recorded music in a, in a few minutes here if you want prayer or, or that ministry time. Think about the times when maybe you can recall supernatural enablement. Maybe angels were in your midst. I know there's experiences that I've had that I'm like, whoa, how did I survive that? Now, as I look back in retrospect, my guardian angel. 
We all have guardian angels, and I believe in the supernatural, absolutely. I, there's no denying The things that I've experienced in my life of just healings, healings in other people's lives, in the household of God, I cannot deny it. We are in a spiritual, cosmic battle. God's the general. God's the general. So make no mistake, if Jesus needed angelic assistance, so do we. You might be thinking, well, where did Jesus need assistance? We can see that after Jesus, when he was on earth and he was tempted by the devil, man, the devil was just going at him. You know, did God really say? Did God really say? And one time Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. A lot of times Lucifer's speaking to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for us to worship other things, even to worship scholars, biblical scholars even, and elevating them above what God says and what God says in his word. It's crazy stuff. But we see here at the end of the temptation, Jesus is in ways drained because he's flesh and blood like us. And it says in Matthew chapter 4 that when the devil left him, angels came and began to serve him. This makes sense. This affirmed what I was saying about when I was laying in my hospital bed and when Isaiah said he could hear angels, that they're with us, that they're, they're ministering to us, that they're sent to us because we're inheriting salvation. When Jesus was in the garden even, when he was praying and they were, it, was, it was showing us they would sweat blood because of the, the anguish about what he knew he would accomplish on the cross. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, he knelt down and says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And a lot of times we end there. But what happens next? Verse 33, it says, Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. This really just blew my mind thinking, we have devalued in some respects, the importance of angelic activity in those of faith. If Jesus needed to be strengthened by angels, so do we. And I don't, I don't pretend to have this whole thing figured out. I'm just inspired as I read the word. It's written in the word. I believe it's the living word of God written to us, both his plans and purposes. And so I want to believe that it's yes and amen. And to close this thing off, my mom sent me an email a few days ago and in it, Dr. Jeremiah uh, shared a story about how a man uh, documented that his brother-in-law, when he was dying, had seen angels. Un unbelievable. So he writes here in his book called Heaven Revealed. And while his brother's uh, dying, he exclaimed to everyone in the room, he said, who are all these people? And he's not talking with the loved ones in his midst. He's like, who are those people? He saw figures in the room with him, unseen figures. And his brother-in-law couldn't see who these figures were. And in retrospect, he says, I realized the reality. Angels had come to escort him home. And he was already seeing the people who were welcoming him into heaven. The reason why I believe that was true is because angels, again, guard, safeguard the sacred space. The guardians of God's galaxy are protecting the way to life. That is in Jesus Christ. Just as the cherubim are at the entrance to the garden, they are guarding our way to eternal life. That's why, Isaiah, when you said you can hear angels, that's just like they're with us, man. They're, they're guiding us, guarding us on the way to eternal life. And so today, as we go, what's our ministry? How are we co-servants with angels? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're declaring like the angel in Revelation 
declares, saying, I'm a fellow servant, that we speak to our friends, we speak to family members, declaring, don't fear. We who were far off, I who was far off, not in right relationship with God, have been forgiven and brought into the family of God by the way the Lord Jesus, our mercy seat, my mercy seat, the propitiation of my sins, that because of what he has done, I now have forgiveness and eternal life. And so, I don't know about you, I hope that you're encouraged this morning when you think about we're working together on this grand scale with, with all of heaven, all the provision of heaven is all around us. The Holy Spirit living within us, guiding us. Jesus promised that as he was given the authority, that he gives us authority to walk on this earth as he walked. And so I encourage you, like, like Isaiah had said, let's be mindful of those forces at work. Let's not focus on the demonic. Let's not focus on those negative things. It's real, and we're not underestimating our enemy. He's going to try and wage many battles, but he's lost the war. And we can never forget that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. First and foremost, Lord, it is living and active. We believe that it speaks to us. Lord, the many things that were said here this afternoon, I thank you that you've spoken to my own heart, that you've encouraged me and that you've challenged me. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will continue to move in our midst. From the words that we heard from your word this morning, that it will challenge us, encourage us to live for you, to be aware of what's going on around us, how you're working amongst us by your ministering spirits and angels. I thank you, Lord, that you're in our corner, that we are not alone. And we can overcome the enemy because of your precious blood that was given so that we may have forgiveness. And so we worship you, God. We thank you with, with hearts filled with love and joy because you did what we could not. And Lord Jesus, I ask as we go today that you'll bind us together in love and in unity to walk as you walked with all the authority and power of heaven with us to lead those who do not know you into an incredible relationship with you. Help us, give us the words to speak, to share what you have done in and through our lives individually and collectively. We proclaim and thank you for all of this in your loving name. Amen. Amen.